this afternoon I'd like to speak a little bit more about those you know, three levels of distortions and uh, the four kinds of distortions. I go a little bit deeper into what Veram uh, was already mentioning earlier today. And I again want to start with a, one of the poems from this anthology. And this time the bhikkhuni who is speaking is called Apirupananda and that means delighting in beauty. And she says here, haven't you spent enough time comparing your hair and your clothes and your face to the hair and the faces and the clothes of those around you? See the body for what it is. Real beauty is in the clear open light of the non-judgmental heart. Real beauty is in the clear open light of the non-judgmental heart. And, uh, you know, the non-judgmental heart, what's meant with that is, you know, not meeting every experience through the lenses of hope and fear or through the lenses of our preferences. But being able, you know, to be aware that we do have preferences because, you know, we all do have preferences. This is not that there's anything wrong with it. But then if, you know, everything in our lives is measured up against those preferences, that produces a lot of suffering. So as I mentioned earlier, now what we are really trying to cultivate is like a, a wider range of response to our experience, a deeper range of response. And that can be cultivated, you know, through training the mind simply. As I gave this example earlier with the the lump of salt in a glass of water as opposed to in Lake Tahoe. What a different impact that lump of salt can have, depending on you know, how we meet it. And that sounds all a little bit far-fetched, but it is really possible to train the mind so that the mind can be more spacious and meeting you know, whatever life brings not always in a way like it's all about me, it's all about mine, it's all about myself, because that produces a lot of suffering. So, you know, what do we need to be aware of in order to, you know, make a headway into that training? And, you know, maybe the first thing to say is, you know, only fully enlightened beings like Arahants and Buddhas, you know, see things the way they truly are. So you don't need to feel uh, defeated, you know, because we are all on the way. We are all having that potential to cultivate, just as, you know, when I was saying taking refuge in the Buddha means, you know, taking refuge in our capacity for full enlightenment. So we all have that in seed form and we can, you know, take on the work of developing that seed into a tree. And you know, and that's not we have to not to do it all by ourselves. You know, it's it's a it's actually a natural unfolding, just like an oak tree. You know, in the beginning, it's it's a little little piece of how are they called? Acorn. Acorn. And and then later become a huge tree. You can't even you know kind of measure with your arms. So and certainly that hasn't been done by the acorn. 
but the apron was a part of it. So the same, you know, with our practice. We don't have to do it all by ourselves, but we have to really want to do it. And uh, and how do we start? Is you know that we are using the instructions of somebody who knows more than ourselves, you know, and then pay attention to our experience in a different way than usual, you know, take, taking on the work of paying attention to particular features of experience we usually overlook. You know, they are hidden in plain sight, so to say. It's not like a secret, but it's like an open secret, you know, which only those who have basically cleansed or purified their minds to a certain extent can see. So it's, you know, it's, it's out there free, available, but you have to work for it, so to say. And, and the work is, you know, dealing with deconditioning our preferences, our hopes and fears, and that costs not less than the ego, you know, and that's expensive uh, considered by most people because it's painful, you know, to go through that process of not following our preferences, but holding like steady with the body and the mind kind of going crazy, you know, wanting wanting to be, you know, doing the same thing what we have been doing, you know, for lifetimes probably, but we are still not happy. Or only, you know, sometimes for a short while and then it changes again. So the price is not less than everything in terms of ego. And that's not, you know, very popular uh, information to, you know, try people to inspire them to pay that price. But then, you know, if you have started, if you've gotten the taste of it and you have no more doubt that this is the way, then it takes on a different um, strength, you know, and our priorities start to shift. And according to the Pali Canon, you know, the first time when that happens, that's the experience of stream entry. When for the first time, you know, that whole fortress of delusion starts to crack just for a moment and we see, you know, the true Dhamma, the way things truly are, that's, you know, according to the Pali Canon, that's when we are really, you know, on the path, when we have seen and when we have no more doubts that this is something, you know, we can do. Or it's not actually us doing it, but this is something which can happen. So, you know, and also I don't want to say, you know, that what we are experiencing is not real for us. It is real for us. You know, if you if you have a pain in your leg or if you have head pain or whatever you have, you are tr- truly having that experience in the moment. But we tend to project additional features and qualities onto the experience which are not really true. And that's, you know, we need to find a way to sort that out, you know, what's really happening and what is just like an addition because of our hopes and fears. And then you know, we can slowly let go of this additional suffering, you know, which we are actually creating, you know, self-creating. 
and uh, because you know we can't really make an ontological statement about anything we can only relate things back to our own experience like the same you know for example if there's a vulture eating like a dead deer you know it's it's a real great feast for a vulture but if you would have that dead deer on your table you'd be disgusted right because you have different needs than a vulture has you know and so is everything on uh, in this universe you know it's always seen through the eyes of something or somebody and then it takes on like a certain reality for that being but that's not an ultimate reality and I think that is something we need to understand and then you know certainly you know we can then you know take off some of the extra luggage which we are carrying around you know which makes our life miserable and then through removing some of those layers of, of distortion and we set free more energy for the practice and more capacity for for you know uh, acceptance and for opening to experience and allowing ourselves to be changed really you know allowing that the process of nature to be more fully seen for what it is and then through that seeing you know we are becoming part of it because we are also nature you know we are not separate from nature we are not like somebody you know like who is like seeing nature doing its thing in reality we are not outside of it we are part of it and you know when we are eating our meal we are just putting all of these things in there you know like potatoes and, and, and whatever vegetables and all kinds of things it's all nature and then it becomes part of this nature and then you know, at the end it, it goes back to nature so we are understanding ourselves more and more as just being a part of this you know and this this understanding is vital because you know through not, not really knowing this we we are kind of slowly but surely you know destroying our environment because we are we are not we are kind of disconnected you know from the truth of the way things are so it is a very it has huge repercussions you know now as there are so many people living on this planet you know our delusions you know have greater and greater repercussions so you know doing this work of trying to decondition these distorted ways of perceiving you know have you know they are really kind of vital in, at this point of our evolutionary trajectory you know where we really need to understand the truth of not self or the truth of emptiness you know that we are not separate beings but all beings you know who are living on and in and around this planet we are all one being one process and that's you know that's one of those four Vipalasas is the one, the number three, you know, seeing what is without a self as a self, for example. You know, and this, this seeing can, this wrong seeing, you know, can, uh, we can observe it as Venerable said on three levels, you know, on the level of perception, on the level of mind, and on the level of view. And, 
you know, on the level of perception, I just said this example of the vulture, you know, seeing a, a dead deer as a feast, and a homo sapiens seeing a dead deer as something in a, he wouldn't touch because it might be, you know, might be the end of that person because it might poison the person. So uh, this is perception, and perceptions are, you know, not with the attention doesn't really exist, you know, because our perceptions are also conditioned. You know, we have the perceptions of our Homo sapiens, and Homo sapiens isn't the top dog on the planet. Even you know, there's lots of teachings which might want to tell us that we are, but we are not. And, uh, you know, we can also see that the distortion of perception in another way, you know, when going for a walk in the forest and then seeing like a long, dark object on the forest floor and for a moment, you know, startling, thinking it's a snake. And then looking again, now it's just a stick. You know, like that. But then, you know, if you keep on thinking about that, you know, and thinking, oh, Maybe there are snakes in this forest, and then you're getting really stressed out, you know, getting kind of fearful. That's going to be the next level, mind. You know, start start on kind of worrying, you know, the five hindrances start to kick in. And then the next level would be the level of you, then, you know, developing, you know, thinking about it kind of endlessly, and then maybe developing a phobia about, you know, not wanting to go into the forest again because there might be like some you know creatures waiting to gonna do something bad to you so that would be those three levels you know and they are not linear but our views you know also conditions our perceptions of course so but they, they are all tangling up into a big tangle and it's difficult to disentangle this tangle And, you know, and some of those uh, perceptions and, um, you know, mind thinking and, and views, you know, they are just simply a result of being a human being. And some of them are coming, you know, from coming from a particular culture, being of a particular gender, particular race. And, you know, many, many things are coming together. And it's very, very complex. So, you know, we need to have like a, a rather simple kind of a template to penetrate into it. And the four, those four ways of seeing, you know, they would be a relatively simple template from which to look at this tangle and then slowly, you know, kind of allow it to fall apart. And you know, and one way of doing that in the in the Buddhist teaching, the, the classic template is also you know what's called the four foundations of mindfulness. I'm sure you've all heard about that. You know, that's you know instead of looking at that tangle and not knowing you know where to start, you just look at mind you know mindfulness of the body, mindfulness of feelings, mindfulness of mind states, and mindfulness of principles of operation. You know. So those four different levels, they are relatively simple and they are like opening doors or opening windows, you know, into this tangle and then starting to kind of 
investigate. And, you know, according to the Buddha's teachings, the two ingredients which are needed, you know, in order to cultivate and de- the mind and decondition the mind is, on the one hand, it's wise friends, well, like the Sangha, you know, practicing together and, and having people to exchange ourselves with who are maybe a little bit, you know, a little bit further along on the path. And, and the second ingredients would be what's called in the scriptures Yoni Manisikara, which means wise attention or a wise reflection. Or if you literally translate the word, it means going back to the source. Yoni means womb in, in the Pali language. Going back to where it's all coming from. Instead of, you know, being stuck on, on the surface. And, you know, meeting everything only in regards to what I want and what I don't want. That doesn't really, you know, bring insight or, you know, that doesn't result in, in liberation, but it just results in more and more kind of uh, attachment, you know. And uh, if you look again at our piece of paper here, you know, the first of the four ways of, of what needs to be seen clearly is, you know, seeing that which is interrelated with that which we we consider to be permanent, seeing that it is actually impermanent. That is the first one. That's usually the easiest one to see. And, you know, and how we, how we, how it becomes clear to us that we are caught up in this is when there is attachment and things change, you know, suffering is going to be the result of that. And then the next one is seeing that which is painful, seeing it as pleasant. For example, you know, the, the world out there, we could say, you know, it's all about telling us, you know, that if we have more things and if we buy more stuff, we're going to be happier. And according to the teachings of the Buddha, it's, uh, you know, the way to happiness is actually through renunciation. And if you try to explain that to somebody who hasn't really practiced, they think you must be crazy or something. <laughs> but if you try it out, you know, if you if there's less dependence on stuff and on things, you know, there is more freedom, really. So renunciation is actually, you know, a, a way to happiness, having less to take care of, you know, and having less to to be responsible for and having more, you know, time to actually use for your own practice is much more um, fruitful, you know, to uh, contentment and happiness. And that's something, you know, which is also hidden in plain sight. It's difficult for people in the beginning to really trust that. But once you get the hang of it, It really works. Mm-hmm. You know, that's one of the you know of the reasons it said why the Buddha has so much compassion for for human beings because he has seen that so clearly and seeing you know how people all are running, running, running after this and after that, 
and frittering away so much time, you know, and all kind of wasting so much time and then suddenly, you know, it's, it's too late. So that, you know, seeing that can bring up a lot of compassion. And then the next one, you know, seeing, uh, we spoke about that, seeing that which is without a self as a self, you know, the interconnectedness of everything, interbeing, how, you know, the Vietnamese teacher Thich Nhat Hanh has coined this um, word, interbeing, everything inter is. You know, whatever you look at, look at these flowers, you can see so many things. You can see the sunshine, you can see the soil, you can see another you know, water, you can see the people who brought them and bought them and put them into the pot and transported them and so many, many, many beings are in there. And you know, it's also hidden in plain sight. If we are not kind of turning the mind towards it, we won't see it. But once we get the hang of it, then, you know, we can see it everywhere. And that means, you know, making the mind from this size into the size of Lake Tahoe. By always considering, you know, all of these things, it just, in the beginning, it blows the mind, you know, and then slowly but surely it just starts to stretch the mind more and more. And that's what we what we all you know want. If we want to have less suffering, yes. And then the, the last one, seeing that which is not beautiful as beautiful <coughs> and then that again, you know, it's not a judgment but it's it's in the way of balance, for example. You know, if our mind is really, for example, caught up in the beauty of our own bodies or in the beauty of the bodies of others, for example, you know, just f- just for the sake of balance, you know, imagining cutting that open here and s- you know, seeing what's inside. Is that beautiful or not beautiful? I leave that up to you to judge. You know, and that doesn't mean that we should not rejoice in the beauty of, you know, what's out there and what's, what we can, you know, beautiful people and beautiful art, beautiful, so many beautiful things out there. But still, you know, they are not only that. They have also other features. But we need to train the mind to pay attention to those other features as well. Not in order, you know, to spoil the enjoyment, but to just balance it out for what it really is. And counteracting, you know, attachment. And you know, and through and through doing these different kinds of contemplations, we we establishing right view, because what we start to understand more and more deeply is that suffering is the result of attachment, not the result of you know the way things are. Because yes, things are impermanent, and that by itself isn't a reason for suffering. But if we want it to be different than from what it is, suffering occurs. There will still be pain, you know, because things change and they can be painful, but it doesn't necessarily need to be suffering on top of it. And that's what the teaching is all about. The teaching cannot take away the pain, but it can take away the suffering, which is, you know, more pain on top of pain. 
and that's what we can work with. And that's what in the scriptures there's this sutta, uh, it's called the second error. Where, you know, one error, somebody is hit by one error, and then instead of dealing with that, they're starting to kind of, you know, want to know where does it come from, who shot the error, get angry with that person, and all of those things. Instead of kind of wasting our energy in that way, we just deal with the first error and try to, you know, remove it in a skillful way and end the suffering. So things do happen in life because we get old and we get sick and we die and that's just laws of nature operating in permanence. There's nothing we can do about that but the way how we are meeting it, this is where we can do a lot. And you know, and as long as we do not have right view on a permanent level because we don't have that, you know, that degree of insight yet we can, you know, again and again establish ourselves in right view, you know, remembering, for example, those four ways of seeing and then paying attention to our experience in order to, you know, kind of dislodge those wrong ways of seeing. And then, you know, wrong view will kick in again and again if it's still, you know, if it's still part of our conditioning, (coughs) but we can counteract it with, you know, voluntarily or intentionally setting up right view by reflecting on those four ways of seeing which we are speaking about today. And, you know, and also really, you know, being aware that all, you know, human beings are suffering under those four distortions and uh, only those you know who really choose to to work themselves out of those they can do that it doesn't happen by itself we need to put in the energy And, you know, usually in the suttas often, you know, when the Buddha gives a teaching to somebody, there's a certain stock ending. And I'd like to share that with you because that really fits very well with the vipalasa, which means turned upside down. And often, you know, the suttas end with the following uh, stanza. When this was said, there, and then there's the name and the title of the person, or for that say the king said, to the Blessed One, which is the Buddha. He said, Magnificent Master Gautama, Magnificent Master Gautama, the Dhamma has been made clear in many ways by Master Gautama, as though he were turning upright what had been turned upside down, revealing what was hidden, showing the way to one who has lost or holding up, a, who, is, who was lost, or holding up a lamp in the dark for those with eyesight to see forms. So he says, you know, the Dhamma has been made clear in many ways by Master Gautama, as though he were turning upright what had been turned upside down, revealing what was hidden, showing the way to one who was lost, or holding up a lamp in the dark for those with eyesight to see forms. 
and then it always ends like this. I go for refuge to the Master Gautama and to the Dhamma. From today, let Master Gautama remember me as a follower who has gone for refuge for life. So that's it, you know. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, it, it is not necessarily intellectually difficult to understand, but to emotionally, you know, and physically, you know, to really being able to have that perseverance, you know, to allow that process to, you know, to resonate through the systems, that was is very difficult. And that's why we need, you know, the refugees and the precepts and the sangha and, and all the help we can get, you know, in order to have that strength to tolerate that to happen. Because, you know, we don't have to do it all by ourselves. It's just, you know, when you have to just put certain things into place and then it just, the process will take, will, you know, it has its own intelligence because it's laws of nature working. The same thing, you know, like the acorn becomes, a, becomes an oak tree. And if you make a very clear commitment inside of yourself, you know, that you want to realize something, you know, that you want to free yourself from those four vipalasa, for example, it's going to happen. But it's not going to be necessarily easy. But it's also possible to do because many have done it before us. And, uh, you know, in all of us, we saw somebody who has, who embodies that, you know, that possibility and that, that can be very inspiring, you know, and that's definitely what happened for me because I wouldn't have ever had that idea myself, you know, but I've seen beings who have cultivated themselves to that degree and then I really felt like, I want to do that too, you know. So, I think, you know, we all would like to encourage you to also try it, because it works. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.